Welcome into another episode of Locked On Phillies. And today we have a very special guest, Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects, joins us to talk about the names to watch for the Philadelphia Phillies minor league system for 2024. Who could make an impact at the major league level? Who will make an impact at the major league level? And who are the guys lower down that we should know their names for future reference? We get into all of it today with Lindsey Crosby. So it's a great episode. Let's get into it. You are Locked On Phillies, your daily Philadelphia Phillies podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome into a very special crossover episode of Locked On Phillies and Locked On MLB Prospects. And Lindsey Crosby, who hosts Locked On MLB Prospects, joins me today. And we've got a lot of interesting stuff to get into when it comes to the Philadelphia Phillies and who's the next generation up. We know they're set right now at the major league level, but there are some guys that are going to have to fill in when this wave of contracts goes to free agency and Mm -hmm. Lindsay's the expert on all this stuff real quick before we get in please make sure you're rating reviewing subscribing to both my channel here on locked on phillies and Lindsay's on locked on prospects on youtube and also today's episode is brought to you by fanduel make every moment more new customers join today and you'll get 200 in bonus bets if your first bet of five dollars or more wins visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get started okay pleasantries out of the way (laughs) tell me what's up with the prospects to keep an eye on in 2024 for the phillies Lindsay. Okay, so we, I feel like we've talked about this guy, these guys a ton, right? But Mick Abel and Griff McGarry, like those are some of the big names. Obviously, this rotation set at the major league level. And so you really have kind of that ideal scenario of you can let these guys cook in the high minors. You can still tweak things. McGarry went on the development list late last year to work on some stuff. And you're just waiting on that that final click where everything all of a sudden falls into place. And talking to some folks inside the organization, they feel like Abel's had that late in the year and in the offseason, and McGarry's that close. But when you look at like you look at the weapons and what they can do, Abel's throwing four seamers and two seamers in the high 90s. You've got the slider, the changeup, the curveball, and he's throwing strikes at a 60% rate. So it feels like the walk rate should be better than 14%. It's a little bit of disconnect there, mechanically disconnect with some of the sequencing. And some of that's just bad luck too. I think that's going to work itself out. Uh, Griff McGarry is a little bit farther away. Um, you know, it's it's similar high caliber stuff. The fastball is in the upper 90s. He's got a sweeper and a cutter, which is a great combination for guys to have. Uh, curveball changeup. But he's th- his strike throwings in like the 50-something percent. So... A little bit more work to do there, but they're both that close. And if the offseason went right, you could see them. And then there are some really intriguing outfielders in the, you know, the the higher minors that I think that you could see if everything goes right. Like Simon Muziati is a, 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 you know, a, a diet version of Brandon Marsh without the giant beard, right? Right. Um, it, it, most teams a left-handed hitting outfielder who can make contact in the zone at a 91% rate is going to be up in the majors. It's just hard because he doesn't have amazing power and the defense isn't amazing. And so it's hard to fit him anywhere, but left like that's, it's kind of the issue there, but you've got, 
You've got uh, outfield options. You've got pitching options. Orion Kirkering is amazing. You're going to see him all year this year. It's just a matter of figuring out where at the major league level can we fit them. And then you're in that really frustrating area of you're a World Series contending team, right? And so you can't afford to really let a guy learn on the job at the major league level. They've got to be ready to go. And so it's there's a whole list of guys that you could see, but they have to perform right away because you can't afford to let them take their time to get ready. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're wondering, like, uh, does Lindsay know what he's talking about? We had a conversation <laughs> about Johan Rojas this time last year, and you saw what Rojas ended up doing for the major league team. He came up late, but I mean, that was a guy who was playing center field in the National League Championship Series. So, he, yeah, he, the impact is strange. You never know. Rojas broke the defensive run saved like calculation because he had an yeah. absurd single month that beat out a bunch of guys entire years. And so, like, it's, like, it's, it's, it's sometimes kind of hard to figure out how do these guys fit in, but sometimes you have a feeling about a guy. Had a feeling about Rojas last year. I've got a feeling about Mick Abel, and I can't really put into exact words why I think it's going to all come together, but just talking to folks, watching as much film as I possibly can on him this week because we're dropping the the Philadelphia Phillies farm preview in its, its entirety on uh, Wednesday the 31st. Uh, it's just I just have that feeling about Mick Abel that when he finally gets a chance, he's just gonna mow through opposing lineups, and and it's gonna be a good season for for Mick Abel at the major league level. Yeah, that's amazing to hear because Dave Dombrowski in his uh, end of season media availability after they mm-hmm. lost to the Diamondbacks talked about Mick Abel, talked about Griff McGarry, obviously Andrew Painter, a great arm who's not available recovering from Tommy John. But uh, he talked about those other two guys and he said, I don't know that they're quite ready to contribute yet. Mm-hmm. And we've heard him say that before. I mean, presidents of baseball operations are notoriously conservative on prospects yeah. to not set the bar too high. But it sounds like the Mick Abel hype train is growing a little bit as we get closer to spring training. So I'm yeah, excited it, for that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, the tools have always been there. It's just trying to figure out uh, what is the change you have to make to make it work. And if you watch, it's something where, he didn't necessarily have the right uh, biomechanical connection between the upper half and the lower half. So he was doing more arm than full body pitching. And then his arm, like his, his arm strokes super long. And so that lends to, to control issues. And there's a lot of belief that he figured it out late in the year that just a lot of that stuff clicked. Some of the changes that they made are going to work out and we won't know until spring training. And obviously, like we said, really hard to break into this major league roster, but I feel like he's going to do it because the one thing this team seems to have prioritized is high-octane stuff. The bullpen's got it. The lineup, the rotation's got it. And Mick Abel has high-octane stuff. Yeah, now something real quick. I don't know if this is a guy that's on your radar for the Major League team because he's a bit older when it comes to prospects. But uh, Rafael Marchand, as the third best catcher in the organization right now for the Philadelphia Phillies, Garrett Stubbs and J.T. Romuto have locked down like the Major League spots. But uh, Marchand is a guy that, while the fan base is kind of turning on Garrett Stubbs a little bit, he didn't give you a lot of production at the Major League level. People see that name. In the minor league system, say, okay, catching mm-hmm. prospect. Is there any chance, like, is he major league ready? He's been that kind of uh, maybe quad A type of guy for a little bit now, and I don't know what his prospect of potentially contributing at the major league level at any point is. Yeah, and, like, it, it's weird because he played in, like, 2020, and then he hasn't yeah. really been up a lot since then. 
Uh, he had like 20 games in 2021. No, it's it's something where I think you would have seen him last year if not for the fact he started the year on the injured list, right? Like he was a little bit behind there. And then uh, it feels like he's been injured. What was it? He was injured in 22 in spring training and in 23 yeah. in spring training. But it's I'm I struggle a little bit because he had he does have positional value, right? So he can cover some first base for you as well. But you're not gonna be like he's not significantly better than what you have, right? Defensively, okay. he's not better than Real Muto. Offensively, he's not necessarily better than Real Muto. Now, I do think if something happens to JT, if he does have to legitimately miss some time, I do think Marshawn's probably a better option than Stubbs to get consistent play time. And like when he was healthy last year in AAA, he batted like 297, didn't hit a lot of home runs, but defensively looked fine, uh, high batting average. It's just like, it's hard to see him on the roster, maybe playing once or twice a week. It feels like he has a little bit more value playing every day in the minors. But if you do see an injury to JT, I could see them saying, we just want the high floor guy who's going to get on, who's going to get base hits. We'll, we'll handle the power production between Schwarber and Castellanos and everybody else. And in that case, I think you see him get extended run. But he's also a trade ship, kind of like Muziotti, where mm-hmm. you got to make, uh, make an improvement to the roster. Maybe it's a bullpen piece. Maybe it's you know a utility infielder or something. He's an option to get dealt to get something because so many teams need that high Florida catcher, and they're not they're not blessed with an amazing catcher like Real Muto. I can't believe while you're bringing up trade chips that guys like Rincon and Muziati, McGarry, Abel, that they're all still here. That the Phillies have built a team so competitive without moving any of these chips. So maybe this is the year that you see Dave Dombrowski cash in a little bit on those prospects. But uh, that's some great information on guys that are potentially available to be moved, potentially available to contribute at the major league level. I know I threw you a curveball with Marshawn there, (laughs) but uh, with Garrett Stubbs, and not producing this past year and Ramuto getting older, I've gotten a bunch of questions about what the Phillies are doing at catcher. So uh, I thought that was an interesting one. Now, coming up, we're going to jump into a conversation about the strength of the system as a whole because there are some young prospects that are not remotely close to the majors right now but are going to be impact makers for this organization in the future. And I know nobody knows them better than you, so we're going to get into that coming up. But first, I want to tell you about Factor Meals. Factor meals are absolutely amazing. Uh, Before they even started advertising with Lock On, I used to eat Factor meals, and it's so great. It's perfect. They have just awesome dietitian-approved meals that get delivered right to your door. There's over 35 meals to choose from per week, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, veggie, so much stuff. They taste amazing. Like It legitimately tastes like you got a restaurant-prepped meal right to your door that you just pop in the microwave and you eat. You don't have to go through the trouble of making it yourself. It's fast. It tastes great. Like legitimately, you're going to try Factor Meals and you're going to say, how in the world did this just come out of my microwave? That's how good it tastes. And also, most importantly, it's cost effective. It's not expensive to do it like other meal services. So go ahead and you got to check out Factor. You head to factormeals.com slash locked on MLB 50 and you put that code in. You use code locked on MLB 50, you'll get 50% off. That's code locked on MLB 50 at factormeals.com slash locked on MLB 50 to get 50% off. All right. So 
when we talk about the strength of the Philadelphia Phillies minor league system, Lindsay, I know they're not winning any awards for top prospects in baseball, but they do have some interesting individual names. Who are some of those guys that are lower down in the minor league levels right now that are potential newsmakers in future seasons? So the way that I look at this system and and some of the how the talent breaks down is I've got uh, you've got pitching and obviously it's headlined by your your painter, your Abel, your McGarry, and things like that. But you've got guys farther down like George Clausen and and Christian McGowan, Alex McFarland, and then you've got left side of the infield a couple intriguing options there, and then you've got the outfielders led by Justin Crawford. So if you're looking at those. Those infielders, Aiden Miller, uh, Brian Rincon, William Bergola, like three guys all listed as shortstops. Odds are they're probably not all going to stay at shortstop. I think it's pretty clear you're going to end up moving, uh, like Bergola stay at short. You're going to move Rincon to, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, you're, you're going to, Rincon's going to stick at short. You're going to move Bergola right. to second. You're going to move Miller to third. Uh, but you've got three really interesting guys that all do multiple things really well. Aiden Miller didn't hit a home run after the draft, but his exit velocities were plus, right? 90th percentile exit below of 105, which is above MLB average already. So, you know, he has a plus arm. He's probably going to kick out the third because the range isn't great, but he profiles to have really good contact. It was like 91% in the zone and somewhere around plus power when he finishes developing. Rincon is... A re- really good at making contact. It's in the 80% on both regular and in the zone contact. And he's just a really good defender with a lot of patience. The power is not quite there, but at shortstop, that's a position where you'll take defense, you'll take the batting average, you'll take the speed, and you'll not necessarily insist on having amazing power. And then is a guy probably going to kick into second, but another guy, amazing contact. He had like a 97% in zone contact rate. He almost never missed in the zone. Now the power is not anything nearly like even average, right? It's it's right. it was something like 95 mile an hour was his 90th exit it was his 90th percentile exit velo, where again the average is one of yeah. three. But uh the the speed is good, the arm is good, you're probably moving into second. You've got a whole three fourths of your infield and they're all in uh A ball, high A, they're all kind of down there together. And they're going to be able to come up. You're going to see them. Outfielders, obviously, Justin Crawford's the big star. We all kind of know who he is. And, uh, you know, we know that he batted. His slash line was like 332, 392, 467 last year. It's it's a little bit absurd as far as how good Justin Crawford is. So uh, I legitimately think, like, we throw around five-tool player a lot. I think it legitimately could be a five-tool player here. The issue, everybody says he has bad power. The actual power numbers are good. Like his his exit velocities and things like that. The issue is he hits like 70% ground balls. So you've got to fix gotcha. that. That's the thing you have to fix. But if you can fix that, even get it to 50%, his power is going to be much better. And then he's somebody who has the ability, the physical tools, to play a really good defensive center field. Uh, he's incredibly fast. And so he kind of makes up for not a perfect route with his speed and stuff right now. But you absolutely... He has the tools and the work ethic to become a plus defender in center field. And then obviously the contact's really good. He's like 88% contact in the zone. So uh, again, five tools. You just got to get him to lift the ball a little bit. But behind him, there's a bunch of options for outfielders, depending on what you want. Maybe you want a power guy. Carlos De La Cruz has exit velocities of his 90th percentile is like 109. It's absurd. Well, it helps being 10 feet tall. 
it helps being 10 feet tall. Now, the (laughs) issue is he also uh, has like a 66% contact rate, right? Like there's a reason he spent all year in double A, but like there's, there's a lot of tools there. He can play first base as well. uh, Gabriel Rincones, because there's a Rincon and a Rincones. It's not confusing at all. He's got really good power as well. He doesn't chase a ton and his contact rates are pretty good. He's just like painfully slow. And so he's going to be a better defender than Kyle Schwarber, but he's closer on the Kyle Schwarber end of things in a a right field or a left field than he would be on the other end of the outfield. So like you've got multiple options there and then you're pitching. You just got a lot of younger guys. Christian McGowan's a guy coming back from Tommy John really curious to see what he does with a full healthy year. The velocity looked good on the sinker last year. He's got two different sliders, a sweeper and a gyro slider. So it's a great combination there. You know, love what he's doing. Again, I think George Clausen's a guy we're going to be talking about this time next year and saying he could be up there with those three pitchers and the painter, the Abel and McGarry, as far as the highest ceiling pitchers in the organization, just throws a ton of strikes, uh, really good tools. And, somebody that that has a a just a ton of potential here so uh, your strengths your your starting pitching options your strength is your outfield options for variety you got guys to cover every position your strengths are that left side of the infield but a lot of that is you have things to work on still and so many of them aren't going to be able to help you in 24 their plays down the road once some of these contracts um expire or some of these guys get a little older like maybe Trey Turner has to kick into second finally yeah. you've got shortstop options down there in Rincon and Bergola and Miller to replace them well, that's important to have and there's some names clearly that have a little bit of juice behind them if you had to put like a grade overall on the Phillies farm system uh what would you give it where they'd be like right around a C uh, it's probably probably a C or a C minus I think it's not necessarily as deep as a lot of other teams, but at the same time, the major league teams in a position where you don't have to have a super deep uh, farm system, right? Like you have, you have a pretty good major league roster already. You're trying to supplement, you're trying to give you options as guys end up having to, you know, they move on to free agency as they get older and have to change roles, things like that. So it's probably a C or a C minus, but that said, there's plenty of future contributors in here and the good thing is the player development has shown that they're able to get some of these guys into their top form to, to get them to the majors. Yeah, and that's a credit to Dave Dombrowski for retooling who's in charge of the minor league system a couple of years ago. Uh, and I've got one more for you before we move on to uh, just a general topic about other names to know. But this is an interesting hypothetical, and I want to know your thoughts on this. Okay. So we know Andrew Painter was an amazing prospect listed high up in the top 100 before he had the elbow issues. We know that Justin Crawford has burst on the scene as this potential five-tool play you were talking about. So if you had to take a guess, if you were a betting man, who ends up having the bigger impact at the major league level, just career-wise, who ends up being the better baseball player? Would you put your money on Justin Crawford or Andrew Painter? I think for me, it's Andrew Painter simply because – he showed like literally he showed everything you could have possibly wanted a guy to show in his first season and tommy john isn't as scary of an injury as like a random shoulder issue we know a lot about tommy john and i've come around on the timing of his surgery by the way just real quick to get this out uh, i was initially mad that they waited so long to rehab him before he had the surgery because i said if you have the surgery in june we don't see him at all of 2024 and in retrospect 
I think that's kind of a good thing because now he can be towards the back end of that regular timetable to, to rehab and come back in 25 and hopefully be around for a full season of competition. So right. I've, I've come around on that. But to me, they, they both have super high ceilings, but Painter, his only question really is health. How well does he come back from the Tommy John? How long does it take him to get back to form? Crawford, you have all of the tools, but you still have questions defensively about the reads routes reactions, uh, offensively about the the ground ball rate and can he elevate the ball? Because it's we say just elevate the ball. It's surprisingly tough to make that change, right? So I think given that, I'm leaning Painter over Crawford. But I think they both could be very good major leaguers for a long time. Uh, it, overall ceiling, I've got Painter number one still simply because he's one of the few minor leaguers I think could be an ace, a number yeah. one pitcher. And it's very rare to say this guy looks like he could be a number one pitcher. But Andrew Painter before the injury absolutely looked like that. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate the uh, the heads up there because I know a lot of people don't know much about Crawford, but they hear the mm-hmm. name, they see the numbers, and they say, wow, this kid's the next big thing, so I want to see how he stacks up. And yeah. I asked you where your money would lie if you were a betting man. Well, where my money lies, because I am a betting man, is with FanDuel Sportsbook, and uh, it's a happy Super Bowl time to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. You got San Fran, you got Kansas City, and if you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. I've hit the coin toss correctly, Lindsay, seven of the last eight years. So we need to keep that streak going, and I'm going to go to FanDuel to do it. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three, and you can bet on a whole uh, bunch of different stuff, which players are going to score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. Plus, new customers join today, and you're going to get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. So just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on. You can make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, this is kind of, I guess, free swim, as they would call it back uh, when I went to summer camp, where I just want to know who are some names that might be lower down or might be some of the like mid-level prospects that just you don't think the average Phillies fan knows enough about. Not even that they're superstars in the future, but just some of the minor leaguers in this organization that you look at and say, wow, that's a really interesting prospect that I think more people should know about. Okay, so I've got two for you, an outfielder and a pitcher. No surprise there, based on what we talked about. For the outfielder, let's talk about a Marion Boyd. Uh, Spent the entire year in low A uh, as a 19-year-old. And at first glance, you think he's that that prototypical prep outfielder who's super fast and can't hit. Like, that's that's kind of not a stereotype, but a profile you see a lot in the lower minors. That super fast guy, no bat. Well, the difference for a Marion Boyd is... He doesn't have a ton of power, right? Uh, you know, I, I don't think he'll ever be more than a 15 home run guy. But 90% contact in the zone in single A last year. Stole 56 bags. Uh, now, I think some of the issue here, I think the power is going to hold him back maybe from being an everyday starter unless he goes from a really good defender in center field to a great defender in center field. But I'm really intrigued because... He's outside of the typical profile for that prep outfielder, as in he's really, really good at making contact. And usually that's the thing that holds these guys back, not the power. So really curious to see what he does. I imagine he gets into high A this year. Want to see what he does there. And then 
right-hand pitcher Win Hui Pan. Uh, he was an international free agent in last year's class, and I think he's going to be a reliever, but most of his outings were multiple innings, and I've been told that they're trying to stretch him out to let him start some this year. Uh, it's He's that rare international, you know, that, that pitcher from Asia that throws 96, 97 miles an hour for his fastball. It's got plus life up in the zone, so like the shape of the pitch is really good, and it's got like a foot of horizontal movement too. It is very hard to square that thing up. Yeah. And even when you do make contact, it's a ground ball usually. And then he throws a really good splitter, and we don't, we're starting to get a come back around on the splitters, right? It's starting to become a more popular thing. You'll see a ton of them this year in MLB, but throws a really, really good splitter and kind of a more traditional slider, but all three of them are really good. And so last year he struck out like 12 and a half batters per nine innings and allowed like three home runs in 60 something innings. Like it's, it was a really good, um, you know, high leverage relief arm there. But if you make him into a starter, I'd be really curious to see, does he bring back the curveball? Does he bring back the two-seamer? And all of a sudden, you've got a dude who's throwing high 90s with five pitches, and three of them are at least plus or better. And if all of that sticks, then holy cow, you've got... He goes from a guy to a dude, right? Right. So a couple interesting things there, and then I I mentioned him a couple times earlier, but George Clausen, we didn't see him uh, pitch a lot last year, but it's just a really interesting fastball because again it's really good with the induced vertical break and then also over a foot of movement horizontally as well so again another pitch hard to square up curveball slider change a lot of interesting things he was i think a sixth rounder last year out of minnesota Mm. and the stats didn't look good in college like a five something era it's his first time ever starting so right uh, this stuff is interesting curious to see what they do with him this year but i've got a lot of trust in travis hergert and the rest of the the pitching development group in the minors as far as what they can do with him. And they're pretty high on Kloss and they're pretty high on Pan. So I want to see what they do with a full season under this this player development staff. Yeah, the Phillies sneaky have gotten very good at developing players and pitchers in the minor league level. A lot of that credit goes to Dave Dombrowski for getting his guys where he wants them to be, the people taking care of that. And, of course, it goes to the individual coaches who are working every day down at the minor league level. So the Phillies are in a great spot. And while the major league roster is pretty stacked and set, eventually in the next couple of years, there's going to be that transition period. And these are the names you're going to look at. So mm-hmm. Lindsay, that's all been great stuff. There's one more thing I want to ask you for before we get you out of here. Okay. And it's the Orion Kirkering rise to prominence last year. That's like unheard of. And now the question kind of is where did this kid come from? Because you only saw him for four or five appearances total at the major league level, including the postseason. So mm-hmm. we know a little bit about what we saw. But you've seen a Ryan Kirkering, uh, that meteoric rise, I'm sure, has been on your radar since early last season. So if you could, just talk a little bit about what type of a pitcher he was at the minor league level and what you think he's going to be this year at the major league level. Uh, he was an absolute freak in the minors. Yeah. Uh, and, and by absolute freak, I mean the whole thing with pitching, the goal of being a really good pitcher is to do things that hitters you want your pitch to move in a way that a hitter's not expecting, right? Right. And the thing that's really great about Orion Kirkring, it, it's a two-pitch profile. It's a, it's a two-seam fastball and a slider. You know what it is. But both of them just have really outlier characteristics. How often do you see a two-seamer that sits in the high 90s? Like, I think that's that's part of it, just the velocities there. Uh, and But 
a guy with velocity that good, a young pitcher that good, in the minors, you typically see that guy just lean on that fastball, right? He throws that fastball a ton uh, because he knows that lower level hitters can't catch up to it. Orion Kirkering's different because he throws the most unique and possibly the best slider that I've ever seen in the minor leagues. So your traditional sweeper, you're looking at a foot, maybe, you know, 13, 14 inches of horizontal movement, and it sits in the low 80s. Orion Kirkering's sits in the high 80s, and it has about 17 or 18 inches of movement, right? Like, you literally, he can throw it at you like if, if for a opposing batter. He can throw it at you, and it ends up in the other batter's box. And yeah, that's the fact, yeah, like folks just aren't used to that. And with mm-hmm. all of the attention we've given, I'd say we as in baseball in general, on fastballs up in the zone, elevated fastballs and things like that. Yeah, it's a four-seamer, and then you work vertically off of it. It's kind of a horizontal game here with the two-seamer and the, and the sweeper. So it's different from what a lot of guys do, but it's also completely unexpected. And again, it's just it's the most unique and probably the best slider that I've ever seen of, like, of that sweeper type. And every coach and every player that I talked to that had to face him in the minor leagues was like, that was gross. Like we yeah. just, we literally don't know what to do when we're up there because the pitch could be, he could, it could be, it could start off in the middle of the plate and it could either hit you or it could be outside the other batter's box. And you never know which direction it's going until it's halfway to the plate. Like it's just so hard to handle. Um, if you gave him a third pitch and you stretched him out, he probably would be a pretty ridiculous starter. But I literally think this dude could be a closer by the end of the year. Like I, he's that good. These pitches are that unique. Now, you do have to be careful because sweepers have the highest platoon splits of any pitch in the of of any pitch in baseball. Because if you think about a heavily heavily horizontal pitch, you know if you're if you're on the left hand side, it's breaking in on you. You have to be better with your control. But he's also really good at controlling it, so he doesn't have massive platoon splits. It's probably it's probably a a, a setup guy versus a closer. But either Mm -hmm. way. I just think he's a phenomenal reliever. It was a great find in the fifth round out of South Florida. And part of the reason I think he fell to the fifth round was they had him starting that third year in college and probably should have just left him in the bullpen for a third straight year before he got drafted. So, Yeah, well, shout out to the Bulls down there for making that decision, letting him fall to the fifth. And the Phillies, they end up the beneficiaries. And we were the beneficiaries today of uh, your knowledge on the prospects. So I appreciate you jumping in. I just want to let everyone know Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. If you haven't checked it out, you need to. Uh, Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7 all the time. They're on right now. And this second, and this second, always, you get the idea. So go ahead and check out what the local experts of Locked On have, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Day on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. And while you're subscribing to stuff, subscribe to Locked On MOB Prospects with Lindsey Crosby. Subscribe to Locked On Phillies with yours truly. And make sure you keep it locked in on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Lindsey, thank you again for the time. Hopefully the Phillies have themselves a good season. I know you're down there uh, in in Braves country, so it's going to be another interesting NL East race. We'll see how that all plays out. But, man, your wealth of knowledge, really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I always enjoy talking talking these fantastic pitchers. And we'll talk to you next time on our next episodes of Locked on MLB Prospects and Locked on Phillies. 
Well, that was a fun chat with Lindsey Crosby. Again, make sure you check out his work on Locked On MLB Prospects. And, of course, stay tuned to Locked On Phillies for more great stuff. Tomorrow, our mailbag episode. Got a lot of questions I want to answer from listeners out there, so we'll get into all of that on the next episode of Locked On Phillies.